to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, an author explores the case of a man imprisoned for murdering his wife 35 years ago. Newly discovered evidence points to someone else, but authorities refuse to exonerate him. We're discussing the podcast Bone Valley. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. I once saw a movie on Showtime called Bone Valley. Was it late at night? It was very different from this. Oh, stop it. Toby Shannon made a, Tweed. <laughs> Toby made a joke last week and now we cannot get over it, right? Yeah. I really do feel bad that Time to go to Bone Valley. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hold on, baby. <laughs> By the way, I have told everybody involved with this podcast that we're reviewing this podcast, and that is the first fucking minute of our podcast that they're hearing. I'm so sorry that we're making fun of the name of your it's podcast. It's only going to get better from here. Better. I promise. You got to travel to the Grand Tetons I to get to Bone Valley. It is uphill from here. I promise. Uphill. But yes, we did make jokes. I promise we did make jokes. I'm sorry we made jokes about the name of your podcast because last week. Oh my week, God. We're yeah. going to be so nice to them. We yeah, don't have to apologize for this to be, up front. Promise. I promise. How about the podcast we're reviewing called The Fuck Factory? I promise. Yeah. <laughs> the Bone Valley Review. The Fuck Factory. Uh, despite, what the Fuck Factory? Despite the jokes about the name, I promise. No spoilers. It's going to be a very good conversation for you. <laughs> <laughs> I promise. Also with us. Maybe. Is, I promise. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of the Piper Green series of cozy mysteries, our very own Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. Because nothing goes with murder like a little side of pastry. Yeah, Laura, I love it that you have a whole new intro that like talks about a series of cozy mysteries now that you have two. It's the best. We've rebranded you entirely. You've rebranded yourself. Congratulations. Oh, how exciting. And finally, our resident Doubting Thomas, the author of the City Trilogy, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our own Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcasts, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. All right. So, Kevin, obviously, this is Thursday's episode of Crime Writers On. Mm-hmm. What is coming up on next Monday's show? Well, next week, we're going to have just a Monday show. Why no Thursday show, because Rebecca, you and I are going on our honeymoon. Our, like 12 years later, we've never had a honeymoon. We've really? Never, really, yes. yeah. We went to wow. work on Monday, and we've Amazing. traveled before, obviously, but usually with the family or for business or with friends. Kevin and I have been on about 30 really great trips. Mm-hmm. We've never been on a trip that isn't a work-related trip. Just the two of us. We had a long weekend in Montreal, but that was, we've never done, wow. uh, yeah. We've been on 10, we've been on so many great trips to places with friends or with our kids. We've never been on a week-long trip that is just the two of us, ever. Last year, we were supposed to do this, and our wonderful friends, Rob and Marianne, invited themselves along, so we did not do this. <laughs> 
Can I take so, a guess as to where you're going? No, we're not telling anybody. You might book oh my a gosh. flight, come along, no, and ruin the whole thing. No, it's going to be too late by the time this comes out. Oh, all right, tell me, where do you think we're going? Uh, Bone Valley. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Bone Valley. Yeah. On our way to Bone Valley. <laughs> I'm going to take the train to Bone Valley. You're taking the skin boat to Bone Valley. So I'm going to take the train through the tunnel and back the train up and go through the tunnel again. We're taking all one eye to Bone Valley. What is oh it? You're not good at that. <laughs> I want a special episode of Married with Podcast to hear about this. No, we're going to find Basically, we're going to find out, Kevin and I. If we actually like each other, oh, which true. actually is a thing that we actually know, because by the way, during the pandemic with our kids in college, we did spend two years alone in the house together. Right. Yeah. So we actually have we already, still are, except we actually have already learned that, except now we're going to be doing it on a beach with a butler and a, oh. and a pillow what? menu and our very own plunge pool. We're basically going to be a white lotus. Be a white lotus. Yes. I want the pineapple sweet or yes. I'll shit in your suitcase. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. We're doing that. Kevin, high five. We're high doing five. that. But your original question was, and that what's means, on next week's show? What that means is that you out there in our audience are not getting two episodes next week. It means that on wow. Monday, we're going to be talking about the Hulu series, The Patient. Yes. Yay. Yes. yes Starring yes. Payne Lindsay. Uh, the guy looks like Payne Lindsay. Oh, no, my God. Steve Carell. Yeah. From and The Office and The 40 year Virgin and Anchorman. Plus and Payne Lindsay. Plus Payne Lindsay. All right. Well, I guess the it's office. a visual thing. You'd have to know what Payne Lindsay looks like. Yes. And what the serial killer looks like. And I won't give it away. Yeah, the actor in it looks so much like Payne Lindsay that every time we watch it, I text Payne Lindsay and I say, we're watching the show that stars you again. It's the guy from Run. Yeah. Who was on that HBO show that we loved when it started and fucking hated it right after we reviewed it. Correct. I hated it from the very beginning. Oh, well, you were ahead of us. Of us. What? Correct. Um, wait, who does he look like? Donald Gleason. He looks like Payne Lindsay in this. Oh, all right. He that looks guy. like him, he walks like him, and he talks like him, except he has brown hair instead of blonde hair. In every other way, he looks like Payne Lindsay. Okay. Yes. But I'm looking forward to talking about it with you guys. It's going to be really interesting. All right. So, um, Kevin, I cannot tell you how excited I am to talk about this week's topic. All right. Can we please just get right into it? Let's get to Bone Valley. Let's go, please, straight to Bone Valley. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. Could you ever imagine the day where you'd sit at a table with a microphone and and vouch for a man who says he's not guilty? No. In fact, um, I've stated many times I'm probably way over my skis right now. Technically, I'm not supposed to be doing this. A Florida judge reaches out to Pulitzer Prize winning author Gilbert King, saying an innocent man has been in prison for three decades. Leo Schofield was convicted of murdering his wife despite no physical evidence and thin witness accounts. Schofield maintains he was not the one who stabbed Michelle and left her body in a roadside canal. I kept thinking, I got to just... Figure out a way. I gotta go back. All I gotta do is get back to this minute, the one I was looking for. Instead of going this way, if I just go that way, I could have ran into the car, you know. But just any, just that minute, if I could just get back to there, I could, I could make it all go away. Gilbert learns authorities never examined fingerprints found on the hood of Michelle's car, evidence that points to a different suspect. But rather than clear his name, authorities are not interested in correcting this miscarriage of justice and exonerating Schofield. I was blown away because I'm like, why would his fingerprint be in the vehicle 
Why would that not have been something that had been investigated? Lava for Good presents the podcast Bone Valley. Gilbert and research assistant Kelsey Decker retrace the investigation into the 1987 Michelle Schofield murder and uncover surprising new evidence about the case. Can the new information convince an indifferent justice system to let Leo Schofield go? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about big spoilers from the first six episodes of Bone Valley. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time. You code. want to remain spoiler free. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. Maybe we should say shut this podcast off. Yes. Go listen if you haven't listened. Yes. Then come back. All right. So can we just say this right now? I would just like a poll from the three of you. Listening to this podcast, does it not make you realize how few truly compelling and great narrative podcasts there are in the world generally? Yes or no? I know we're tipping our hand to our reviews right now, but there are very few podcasts like this. Yes or no? Kevin Flynn. Well, after having listened to 500 or so, (laughs) I will say that this is up there. This is really compelling. Yeah. Laura, like, so this podcast, right? Like next up. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to say this is like the first time in a long time where I started listening to a podcast. I'm like, oh, this is a case that is very compelling. This is a podcast that's told in a very compelling way. This is a host who knows his shit. This is an actual wrong conviction. and. P.S. There's a judge who tips them off. I was like, I'm all in. Yeah. So, Toby, I'm curious to know what you think of Gilbert's writing in this show, because to me, that's what elevates it. This is actually there's some complicated shit that happens in this podcast. And it reminds me a little bit of In the Dark Season 2, which I think if there's any flaw in In the Dark Season 2 is that they know that it's complicated so in In the Dark Season 2, they do a thing where they repeat things over and over and over again so that we understand that this is complicated. We know you know it's complicated. Willie so James Hempel. Willie James, James Hempel. Hempel. Yeah. Uh, District Attorney Doug Evans. Like, they say things over and over again. This is one of the only podcasts I have ever listened to that is so cleanly written that I never once was lost, even though it's very fucking complicated in many ways. I don't know what you think about the general writing in this podcast. I find it to be like superiorly written. I don't know if I'm alone in that. I'm just I'm just curious about your general thoughts about the writing. Yeah, I, I think the uh, the writing is really good. Like you said, it's complicated, but you don't find yourself confused at all. And I think he's also, you know, he's a very good writer. Like he writes very well without it, like calling attention to itself. I think like there's never any time like you know tone it down a little bit, pal. And I, I think the other thing, like it's interesting that you compared to uh, In the Dark season two, and maybe this is just me. I didn't have the feeling like it was going kind of week to week, and like who knows what next week will bring necessarily. It sort of feels like there's obviously this big moment. It's among the biggest. Like we're in the spoiler section, so just spoilers talk about it. at the end of, of of episode four, where you where you find out that there is a very likely other person who, who committed this crime that this guy Leo has been in prison for, for how many years? Like 35 or so. 35 years. There's a hit. 
And I'm like, really? All right, who does it come back to? And he said, a guy named Jeremy Scott. Jeremy Scott? Who the fuck's Jeremy Scott? Holy shit. It just kind of feels like it builds in a way that narratively makes sense and really like sets you up for this big reveal, I guess, roughly halfway through it. But it's just really, really well put together. I felt like you really got a sense of the main characters who are in it. And a lot of times you're just hearing from them straight off. But even the ones you're not hearing from, you're getting multiple people talking about them in ways that kind of build to you have a good sense of who these people are. And it's not just like one person's impression. It's this is sort of a composite picture of this person. And, you know, one of the good things about this case, and, and Gilbert makes the most of it, but it's not something that that he did, is that there's some big personalities <laughs> in this case that make it that much more interesting, I think. Yeah. And Kevin, that begins with the very first scene in this mm. podcast. Can you please talk about what we cannot deny, which is the absolute excellence, perhaps the very best first scene in any first episode of any podcast that I think I've ever heard. Yeah, probably. I mean, it's a killer opening. You know, about the eight minute mark, I was like, oh, I'm totally going to binge this. But, you know, right from the start, the stakes were laid. It was compelling. It was interesting. This is obviously the work of an author who understands the importance of a strong opening. And I'm sure he and Kelsey and everybody else on the team batted around what is the absolute strongest way to kick this off. And it was definitely that interview. But it's like, if I don't do it, who the fuck's going to do it? This is Judge Scott Cup. He isn't supposed to make any public comments on pending cases at all. Florida's Code of Judicial Conduct prohibits it. And yet, that's exactly what he's doing to me, a writer. Uh, so, Laura, I have, a, I have a question for you, because there is always like this, you know, who do we make the narrator in the podcast? Who do we yeah. make the driver? Who do we make the lead storyteller? Clearly, Gilbert is the reporter here. Kelsey is Gilbert's research assistant, right? Yeah. And Kelsey is a background presence in the first episode of the podcast. Kelsey comes to the foreground a little bit later in the podcast when they go and view the autopsy evidence in the podcast, and we hear Kelsey's reaction to it. After that point, Kelsey comes a little bit to the foreground of the podcast. I find that to be like a very good decision in terms of the storytelling in the podcast, transparency and reporting, and Gilbert's choice to just open it up a little bit. And I'm just curious in your thoughts for that, because I think that could have gone horribly like wrong and awkward in some ways and like like contrived. Well, I think it gives another way to tell the story because you have her there, you know, so instead of just narrating what happened or introducing what happened, you can have her kind of as a sounding board as somebody that is commentating in a way that seems more authentic as to how things are unfolding and how the experience is happening and how it's happening when they are out looking for witnesses and, you know, going back to that same person's house multiple times who was the juror who wasn't there. And, you know, that's one of those things that I don't think you could pre-plan. I think that as the story's unfolding, as the reporting's unfolding, it's something that might've just happened organically, 
but it worked really, really well because it was something. I mean, she's when they're like, how old are you? 23. <laughs> I, I'm like, she doesn't sound like she's 23. She sounds like she's very seasoned. She's got like a good head on her shoulders. She's definitely invested and intelligent and doing this in a way that is competent. But, you know, I I just think it it works because now you you see how the research process is actually playing out. And, you know, you're, you're listening to which I like. I mean, I personally like seeing a little bit of how the sausage is made just because that's like my personality and I want to know how everything happens and why it happens <laughs> and who's doing it. So for me, it worked. And I, I, I thought that was just a really interesting choice. Yeah, I agree with you, Laura. I mean, I think three cheers for Kelsey. Every podcast investigator ought to have a research assistant with them. So then you can divide and conquer as far as what your strengths are, you know, everybody getting the right stuff done. But you know what she also does is she serves this important purpose of doubling the exposition. Right. So instead of Gilbert just narrating like the things that they've done, he can also have Kelsey there. Tell him, tell us what happened. And Rebecca, you mentioned this, like in every true crime story, like the narrator has this act of contrition where they make some sort of statement about respecting the victim and the horror of violence. And sometimes it's saccharine and sometimes it's well done or whatever. It feels like necessary. Like, like it's we have often as performative yes. absolution. They're yes. seeking from the audience. Like yes. true crime. I know. Right. Well, you know, be with me. Gilbert does a little bit of this when they're talking about the evidence review about the impact, but the most important piece of tape is Kelsey's reaction. Yep. <laughs> It's authentic and powerful in its simplicity. That says more in a real way than any of those other podcasters have ever tried to make it. I mean, Toby, like you left a note about this for me. We know it can go awfully wrong when a story is more about a reporter following a story than it is about the story. Right. Right. I think the story does a lot well following reporters following his story. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, well, I think this isn't the first one that's used this effectively. And I think actually some of the best podcasts are ones that find that balance, right? Is you have a compelling investigator and, you know, some of our favorite people in the podcasting world have filled that role. And I think the two of them do it very well here as well. I think it's just... You know, maybe it's just the rigor with which they undertake their investigation and the fact that they have so many interesting and important voices as far as this case goes that you almost feel like it. it's almost necessary to have them have strong voices in it as sort of a grounding thing to kind of help you carry through the narrative rather than having a whole lot of exposition in between or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, again, I, I, we've also seen things when it's gone wrong, where it's, it's more of a sort of ego trip thing, or you feel like it gets a little bit beyond just investigating and, and talking about, you know, the repertorial stuff. 
But in this, I think they, they get it just about exactly right. There wasn't any point at which I was like, they're kind of overdoing it here or there or whatever. I think they, they pretty much nail it. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section. Yeah. What have we got going on, on our Patreon right now, Kevin? Uh, well, we have the latest episode of Leave It to Bricker. Okay. And Lara had coffee with a cop, <gasps> a national coffee with a cop day. Oh my God, how did that go? Did you like find any fingerprints that you just decided to ignore or anything like that, Lara? <laughs> well, apparently usually coffee with a cop is like this community event where they like sit around and have coffee and cookies and muffins and like chat about- But Lara Bricker's involved- <laughs> Not when I go. And uh, so there was some, so I, we did brainstorm some ways to mm, kill of people off in town. We talked about some murders. I we do talked not about think that was the intention Bruce of thinks- coffee with a cop day yeah. when they said that. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, maybe people can get together and I'll ask cops about how to kill people. Yeah, it was like PR, Laura, so you wouldn't look at our stats. Join the police force. That's how you can kill people. It was people. like, don't look at our stats <laughs> and have coffee with us instead. And I will say that one of the other police officers was out in the hallway and came in and was like, you guys, I just heard what you said out there. You need to quiet down. <laughs> Par for the course. So you can hear all of that. Of course, we have the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, and the latest Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. Toby, you talked about the book Tall Man. Tell us how that went. What was? Just give us a, a quick update on, did everybody like the book? Yeah, everybody loved the book, I think. Uh, yeah, it was uh, Rebecca Lavoie of Crime Writers On. Who's that? And, uh, <laughs> Elon, yeah, I know. Um, and Elon Green, uh, who wrote Last Call, which we did on the deep dive, you know, like six months ago or something. Yeah, it's, it's a super interesting book. Uh, we had a good conversation. I mean, it's kind of amazing that that book, like what happens in Australia between sort of white Australians and uh, Aboriginal peoples really maps on to a lot of the stuff that we look at in, in America mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, African-Americans and, and other uh, minority groups. There is so, no difference. Yeah. And in some ways, it's, in some ways it's worse. Just the accent. Yeah. Well, it's like, it, I mean, imagine like if uh, in America, cops and white people could be like, let me just send all the people of color to an island so I don't have to look at them. That's what it's like in Australia. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's even worse in some ways. Well, if you want to hear more of that discussion or any of those other podcasts, we have 300 podcasts that are exclusive to you if you join Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Sign up today. Two more things to talk about from the partners in crime universe. What's that? Uh, yesterday, we dropped our latest episode of These Are Their Stories. This was an episode we recorded live in Columbus uh, last month. And uh, this is an episode of SVU. It's the one where the cool mom like buys all the booze for the kids and yep. they're sleeping with the captain of the lacrosse team. Yeah, and, of course it's lacrosse. Yeah, you know. So that's why she's the cool mom. Who My was mom- the guest? Who was the guest? It was Rebecca Sebastian from Dialogue. Yes. And Rebecca Lavoie. And that brings me to my final point that on November 11th, there's going to be a live show of These Are Their Stories at the Bank of New Hampshire stage in Concord, New Hampshire, conveniently located for most of America and Canada. And I'm just <laughs> which, saying, Which you know? means I'll be there. Oh, By the great, way, great, there's great. an airport like 20 minutes from Concord, New Hampshire. Oh. I know, people have flown out. It's going to fly in. This is a jet-setting event. By the way, 3,000 fucking people went to Columbus, Ohio for Obsessed Fest. I'm just hoping Why for... Why are you thinking we can't fill a theater that fits 150 fucking people for this I show? I don't know, I'm in a 
late night. You're so insecure. I'm losing so much money on the t-shirts. You're what so I'm insecure. Yeah. People will show up for the These Are Their Stories taping in Concord, New Hampshire. By the way, it's the capital of New Hampshire. Stop underselling yeah. it. Yeah, all the leaves will be gone by then. But anyway, by if the way, you Henry, watch- Henry tonight was like, you guys know that's Veterans Day, right? I was like, I did not actually know that was Veterans Oopsie. Day. Uh-oh. Well, well think- that means people have the day off and Correct. they can go to yeah. the show that yeah, night. Yeah, of course. They can do some pre-gaming before your show. There you go. Correct. Great it's not day Memorial travel. Day, it's Veterans Day. Yeah. So if you want to uh, link to that, go to uh, the uh, website for These Are The Stories. It's lawandorderpodcast.com. There's a link right at the top if you can't find Bank of New Hampshire stage, and you can get your tickets. All right, Kevin, before we end the uh, business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Megan Cook and Hannah Harmon. Bless you. Bless you guys. Bless you to everybody who's listened to the business section, whether you are a Patreon member or not. And Kevin, should I, fade that, fast forwarding. should I fade that music out right now? Fade it out. All right, I'm going to get that done. All right, so I want to talk about some of the things that happened in the podcast now instead of just how excellent all of the storytelling parts are. Was anybody else like me surprised that these reporters actually solve a second murder in this podcast after uncovering the second suspect, Jeremy Scott, after doing this record search and hearing this tape in which Scott's girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, talks about things that he told her. And his brother. Casual conversation about a cabbie that he may or may not have killed and gotten away with do this extensive news report and record search. And it seems potentially they have solved a second unsolved crime. That didn't come up on my radar as something that I expected to happen. Laura, did you expect that to happen in this podcast? Nope. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But again, this goes to you have an extremely experienced journalist, investigative reporter here. And they are not leaving any stone unturned. And they're actually doing their legwork and going through the documents and following up on the witnesses and basically doing what they should be doing. But this whole sort of landscape of people that are involved and connected to this original murder of Michelle just gets wackier and wackier to me. I mean, we've got the crazy grandma. We've got Alice Scott, the witness, who's not related to Jeremy Scott. And then we've got this murder that they end up solving. Uh, And it's just, there's so much here in this story, like so, so many tentacles of where it goes. And that was definitely not something I saw coming. Well, Kevin, I have a theory about why this is able to happen in the show. Zap. And this is not about like, I just, I I don't want to like give the impression that I am like, quote, shitting on cereal because I'm not. But this is, I'm calling this like an anti-serial podcast in one way. So Gilbert got this tip about a wrongful conviction, right? Mm -hmm. And he's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter. And instead of starting with this tip where I'm skeptical about this and I'm going to start at a place of skepticism, it's almost like he got this tip and started with a place of, I'm going to report it out and assume that it's a good tip. Mm Mm-hmm which feels very different for me than a place like where Sarah Koenig started with the Anand Syed tip. So when you start at a place like that, where he did it, by the way, all of the reporting, we still heard all the reasons why 
Schofield could have killed her. Like we heard all those reasons, right? When you start at a place where you believe more and you're further into it, it opens up more possibilities to do more reporting where you can get farther into the story. And we end up in this guy's living room with his fish tank who didn't commit a murder and you're helping absolve him of a crime that people think he actually committed, even though obviously he was acquitted of it. Mm -hmm. Like, what did you think of those scenes? It felt like this podcast just went so far beyond where it could have gone because they started at a place of believing the tip to begin with. Yeah, I'll just say, you know, the setup to your question here about like, where does Gilbert King start from? His lead into the whole story is that he's hearing this from a judge who already told him there was a fingerprint. There was, you know, another guy identified. So not that there's no mystery or that he needs to be more uh, credulous about what he's being told. He's coming into this and is curious about this because there's an excellent chance that this judge is correct and this guy is innocent. And so let's start this. So there's not a lot of fucking around with, oh, well, you know, maybe he's really just a psycho killer and he's a sociopath. We're just going right to exactly. the case, right? That's what I'm saying. We're not going to talk he about demeanor. Right. We're just going to go look at the actual evidence. And so you're right. I am just like Laura said, what a shocking third act where we're like, okay, we're just going to take this detour to solve this other unsolved case. And we're going to go talk to this confederate who totally believes the election was stolen <laughs> and yeah. and tell him the good news that no we think this was the guy that did the murder that you were accused of all those years ago and people still think you committed now i don't have a lot of maybe i i think that if this guy were my neighbor i probably wouldn't like him but that's sort of like the point of the system is that justice is supposed to be blind in that way it's just supposed to be if you of didn't course. do it you didn't do it doesn't matter whether or not you have a lazy boy and a giant fish tank. Oh, by the way, there's nothing wrong with lazy boys and fish tanks. No, they're not. And there may be something wrong with Confederate flags. You know what there's something Maybe. wrong? You know what there's something definitely wrong with? What? Jeremy Scott's grandma. Fucking grandma! <laughs> the fuck grandma? She hates those fucking cops. She and does. Kill that beautiful <laughs> bean footage. They said they, they found the girl's body in the lake. Lord. Right. Well, just tell them you don't know nothing and you ain't seen nothing, heard nothing, and just leave you alone. Well, they're coming back, Grandma. Well, just tell them you don't know nothing. But well, they they told me they'll be back, Grandma. They ain't got no proof on They got a palm print in her. Uh-huh. It could have been anybody's, too. Right. And that phone call to Grandma, we have the tapes and they play the tape. It's, would your phone call with your grandma go that way? <laughs> when I was in the big house, it did. Yeah. <laughs> the whole thing about Jeremy Scott, I mean, even besides just the whole, the solving the case thing. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole story is tragic. Yes. In all kinds of different ways. And sensitive, right? Yeah. And including, I mean, hit, like for him himself, right? I mean, it's not, he's most likely brain damaged. Yep. Abused by a whole bunch of different people and, you know, committing serious crimes from the time he's 12 and causing a lot of destruction as, as he kind of makes his way through his life. Um, I mean, to me, this is a moment at which it went from being just a very, very good podcast to something in a higher stratosphere almost is, you know, after just doing this sort of excellent traditional podcast work on, on Leo's case, that then you have this very detailed, sensitive, 
complex story about this kid essentially through the whole thing and what happened to him and what he did to other people. You know, it's, it's a tough one to think about seriously about like where, at what points could things have been arrested in his life trajectory to make his life turn out differently. And I think at one point somebody says, well, you know, this is one of those kids who there was never anything we're going to be able to do for like, well, that's coming from somebody who's in that case. I can't remember if they're in law enforcement or, or some part of the legal or, or mental health system. It's like, well, that's, that's really not an acceptable answer. Quite honestly, Mm. these are the kinds of people that you're, you're supposed to be trying to figure out what you can do rather than just let people suffer and cause other people to suffer until you get a point where you can just lock them away forever. Like that, that's not the answer to it. So anyway, I, I, I found this whole, that whole kind of arc of this to be really affecting. And again, I, I mean, I think it's, it's what lifted it from being sort of excellent to being whatever the, the next stage above that is, which I guess is sort of like a more excellent, you know, all timer yeah. type thing. I think episode five of this podcast, which is the Jeremy Scott biography story episode, bam, bam, is one of the best single episodes of any podcast we have ever listened to on this show. I put it up there with the Cookie Holman episode of In the Dark season two and with episode one of Suspect, which are my two single favorite episodes of any podcast we've ever listened to. It begins with this incredibly empathetic portrait of this horribly abused child growing up turning into basically a psychopathic monster yeah it is human and real and the moment in which gilbert says kelsey and i came to realize he got away with a murder is like a real transition moment in the episode where you're like you can know all these things about him and he can have gotten away with a murder both can be true Mm-hmm. And that is just an incredible piece of journalism and a brave piece of journalism because I feel like a weaker, more both sides, more, for lack of a better word, this like public radio-esque way of storytelling, like, I don't know, who knows? Have the No, he got away with a murder in this because he had a very, very good defense. He had the public defender, which, by the way, Laura Bricker, we find out the public defenders here. Mm-hmm. Those are the fucking lawyers that you want here. And those are the lawyers yes. that Schofield did not get. Hooray for the public defender's office. Yes, I would like to speak to and that. not the lifesaver lawyer. Yes. No, I would like to, because I, when that investigator, I don't recall her name, but she had like a fun name that I liked. But, Cinda. Cinda Williams. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, how many times did that happen to me when I was a defense investigator and I'd go to the jail and they'd be like, oh, the public pretenders are like shitty lawyers. <laughs> uh. And I'd be like, hey, you're not going to get an investigator when you hire your private attorney unless you pony up a bunch of money and your private attorney is not going to come here every week. And and I was listening to her and I was like, yes, this is the same speech I used to give. I was like, this is so true. Yep. And then we see that not only is it true, Then we see it like really come to fruition when he hires this shitty, well. Leo, Leo hires Edmonds. The flamboyant guy with his flamboyant way who 
does no investigation, comes to see him the night before the trial. I'm like, oh my God. So to me, that was just very validating because I have such a respect for people that work in the public defender system. So hearing that, I was like, yeah, this is exactly what I used to say all the time. And here is a case where, I mean, I, I don't know what the outcome would have been if he had stuck with his public defenders. But to me, I felt like when we got into the episode where we're talking about like ineffective counsel, it was clear to me, like he did not have somebody advocating for him. And so, yes, uh, that was my little speech. So Kevin, <laughs> this is where we're talking about the writing, right? Yeah. So we have these people identified. So Leo rejects the public defender and hires Jack Edmonds, right? We know that Jeremy Scott goes with the public defender and actually is acquitted of the first murder, right? Yeah. The Jewel Johnson, I think it was. Yeah. Correct. Jewel Johnson. We know that the Confederate flag guy also hired Jack Edmonds, yeah. right? And and ended up getting acquitted, but there's doubt there, right? We also know that John Aguero, the prosecutor, what do they call him? The guy with, with the, the uh, old sparky tie old tag. Sparky yeah. tie tag. There are so few signpostings of these characters, but we know exactly who they are, exactly why it's ironic, like that who hired who and who didn't hired who. They don't have to drill at home. And at one point, Gilbert's like, you remember him, Jack Edmonds. I'm like, oh, no, I completely, you don't have to signpost that. I completely remember him, even though that yeah. was three episodes, because you wrote it so fucking well. Well, he was memorable back. He was at a, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, that's just a really great example of good writing, right? So can we talk about um, the jailhouse marriage and how that ends up bringing all of these people together? <gasps> <laughs> Why isn't he really talking about Leo at all? I mean, he's this one of the central well, characters yes, here. Yes, Leo is the central character. Yeah. So what do you think about Leo, Kevin, and how all these people oh, end up getting brought well, together? Well, some guy with a Boston accent in Florida is going to get in fucking trouble. You know that, right? Yeah. Uh, he's, not, he's no angel when he's young. You know, this is true. Yeah, he's not necessarily he's a, a good guy. He's yeah, a dick when he's I young. mean, he was abusive with his wife, and he admits it. But I have to say, we know in our hearts that this guy is innocent of this crime. Right. It does seem like, you know, 35 years later that the pain of losing his wife is present within him. Yep. And he's very emotional talking about it and angry with, you know, I, I, he tells a great story about <sighs> the one time that he crossed paths with Jeremy, Jeremy Scott, Scott. Yep. And, was just a couple steps away from like grabbing him and, and trying to choke him to death with, with a chain. But he's a VC, still a very compelling character. You know, you can still see him in your head, you know, playing guitar and rocking out. And throwing his guitar in the fire. Throwing his guitar in the fire. It's rock and roll, man. But I mean, they were so young. Yeah. He's not Curtis Flowers, somebody who sang in the choir and, you know, is beloved and had this one thing where, oh, he what you know, he left work. And so that that was his reason for wanting to shoot everybody at tardy furniture. This is a guy who was troubled and was probably very bad to his wife, but he wasn't a murderer. And they convicted him based on bad character evidence because there was no physical evidence. And when they finally get some physical evidence years later, they're like, meh. Let's ignore it. Ignore it. We got a guy in there already. Why make this problematic? So, Toby, I was very curious at the beginning of the podcast, like, how is Judge Cup going to come into this? And it's because he interacts with this woman in the prison who comes in to run a prison program, Chrissy. She ends up liking him vetting him very carefully over a period of time, believing in his innocence. 
her best friend, Cinda, who happens to be a cop, is like, fuck you, you're crazy, get falling in love with a prisoner. Like, what are you doing? They end up falling out as friends. <laughs> they end up getting back together. She happens to be married to this judge over a lot of period of time. They end up getting back it's like over a great period of time. This isn't, he's not even a judge yet. He's just a lawyer. He sort of gets invested in the case. Now he's a judge. So we find out this connection where the judge brought him this tip was just this very sort of pedantic, like friends, jailhouse marriage situation. Like it's all very kind of like normal and lovely. That was episode six, right? The way that all played out. And like, I also really loved that story because it was also just like the unspooling of it was very surprising to me. Yeah, it also just feels very provincial, right? It's just like yes. this really small group of, <laughs> of the, I mean, the population that you're kind of dealing with is small. So that felt a little bit like New Hampshire, to be quite honest. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again... You know, a lot of it's in the telling, but some of it's also in the story that they're telling and that these interesting characters who interface with each other in interesting ways. And and as you were saying before, like the choices that are made about whether you have a public defender or whether you have this sort of flamboyant defense lawyer with a big reputation. I mean, there's just so it's just so interwoven. Uh, again, I, because I don't think it's like you're not dealing with a huge population here. It, it's just very cohesive, I guess. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out the podcast Bone Valley? It's from Lava for Good. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Should people check out this podcast? Yes or no? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Absolutely. Uh, this is the best podcast that we have listened to in a very long time in terms of a true crime journalistic narrative podcast that is actually investigated by a investigative journalist and told in an extremely compelling way. This is a case that is extremely interesting. You know, the Innocence Project has taken this on. The introduction as to how this case comes to the attention of the host is something that is, I don't think, ever going to be duplicated. I'm not giving any spoilers to those who are just tuning in now in another podcast. And um, there are some parts that are extremely rage-inducing to me, like some of the judges' rulings and certain things, but it's phenomenal. I think this is one of the best things we've, you know, I, I don't know what to compare it to, but I'm just going to, you know, this is right up there. So it's it's very well done and it's extremely interesting. Toby Ball. Yeah, well, you know, we haven't listened to the whole thing yet. So with that caveat, I, you know, I think it's in... <laughs> It's in, uh, you know, sports, they talk about instant classics, uh, just something that, you know, when it hits, you just know that it's going to be something that people are going to like look back on. And that's just kind of the way it, it seems to me. My actual recommendation for people is just to listen to it and then listen to our full discussion, because I don't I think it's kind of hard to sum it up in a minute or less uh, the things that are good about it. But I, I mean, I really do think it does, like if you've listened to us over the, the past years and, and sort of the things that we value in podcasts, and I, and I think it sort of exemplifies most of those things, right? I, I just kind of feel like it, it hits a lot of the stuff that we as a group kind of find important out of the park. But yeah, I, again, I would unreservedly, you know, if you listen to us, you should listen to this, definitely. Kevin Flynn. Yeah, I'm a, an enthusiastic thumbs up. We were recently asked at an event, what makes a good true crime podcast? 
And my answer should have been uh, beginning, middle, and end. <laughs> <laughs> and end is a difficult thing, and Toby's right, we haven't heard of the end yet. But, but what I did say was magic. The thing that makes a story resonate and stand out, you can't really plan for magic. Sometimes it just occurs, and this podcast is full of magic. It has the best elements of serial, in the dark, missing and murdered, and suspect. This is definitely the best of the second wave true crime podcasts. It is creating a universe of empathy and frustration. This is likely to be on the top of my list for the best of 2022. Uh, I cannot wait for the last, oh, what is it, three or four episodes to go here. Yeah, this is a remarkable achievement. And Gilbert, when you write the book version, I will give you that for a cover blurb. It is a remarkable achievement. I will add that it also has elements of Bearbrook and Undisclosed in it because there are actually things in it that advance the story. It's not just mm-hmm. telling a story. There are things that get advanced. That's all I'm going to say. I, I just don't want to spoil it. All I'm going to say is listen to this podcast. Listen to episodes one, two, three, four. We listen to through six. Yep. And keep listening to this podcast. There are very few podcasts that we listen to on this show where we get advanced episodes of this podcast. And I'm like, fuck these people for not sending me more advanced episodes of this podcast. But that is how I feel. Gilbert, the one thing I'm mad at you about is that you did not send me more advanced episodes of this podcast. This is hands down the best podcast I have heard since the suspect season one, which was my favorite podcast of 2021. Right now, this is without a doubt my favorite podcast of 2022 and maybe my favorite podcast that I've listened to in since in the dark season two, like like without a doubt. Run, don't walk, and listen to Bone Valley. That's a thumbs up. You can make fun of the name all you want. It's a fucking huge thumbs up for me. All right, that's going to do it for us. Boy, that was fun. But Laura Bricker, before we go, do we have a cat of the week this week? We do have a cat of the week this week, and it is one of my favorite cats to follow on Instagram, Drama the Cat. Uh, cat I follow on Instagram that is the cat that belongs to one of our listeners, Jude Nasri. And Drama's having a little bit of some health issues, and we're hoping everything's going to be okay. After all these years, I owe it to her for all she's given me, so she's really trying to make sure that Drama... But Drama also likes pizza. <laughs> What's wrong with Drama's <laughs> face? Why does Drama's face look like that? In the pizza photo? Like, the Drama's face always has, like, a tongue situation. Well, because they're always like licking their chops for oh, the food. Oh, I like that. I do like that. Um, so yeah, I love drama. I follow drama on Instagram and I hope everything is okay. So, Me too. Uh, Jude, thanks for sending your pizza loving cat in this week. All right, Laura Bricker, if folks would like to contact you on Instagram, on our Instagram or on our Facebook page or just email on at gmail.com. But if they want to like maybe like reach out to you specifically on Twitter, how can they find you there? They can find me at Lara Bricker. And of course, they want to buy your book, too. How can they do that, Lara Bricker? Um, They can go to the Water Street Bookstore website if they want a personalized copy. I literally stop in Water Street Bookstore every day because it's right next to my office on my way to and from Get Coffee. And they always say, we got a book for you to sign. Nice. So if you want a personalized copy, you will get it. They ship for free. Nice. Toby, how can folks find you on the Twitter if they want to buy a book from Lara Bricker? (laughs) (laughs) at 
Toby Ball and H. And, and Toby, I'll do anything, something. <laughs> is there anything you would like to plug in addition to Ed Toby Ball and H? Strange Arrivals. Yes, you can watch Strange Arrivals. I'm working hard on season three. You can Let watch you know when it. That hits. We what? can watch it. We can watch it or we can listen to it. You can watch it or listen to it. You can only <laughs> listen to it. All I, right. it's, it's late. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, how can folks reach out to you and what would you like to plug? I want to plug Bone Valley. Yes. I met Kevin P. Flynn. Yes, and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. And of course, you should listen to Celebrity Podcast Podcast, my podcast with my very own son, Henry Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. It is rad. Uh, just go to Facebook, like look for our podcast, and when you find our page, hit join the group. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcast, which I'd highly recommend because I'm on it the next time. Our theme song was composed <laughs> and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly patient Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we also have heavenly visions about where to find our microphones. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks for listening. We'll catch you later. later. Let's go, please, straight to Bone Valley. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. Can you get the Bone Valley shit out of your head? Who, me? (laughs) They're having Boner Valley on their trip. It's a honeymoon trip to Boner Valley. Can we just say Bone Valley? Everyone got to get it out. Bone Valley. Bone Bone Valley. Valley. I'm I'm done. Boner Valley. Bone Canal. Bone (laughs) Valley. Bone Dam. There's so many things they could have called this podcast. Boner. Bone. Well, Fos- I like- well, I think the alternative was Phosphate Valley. By the way, right? yeah. Bone East Valley. Bone Falls. Can we just say Bone Valley is a perfectly fucking valid name for this podcast. Toby, you're the I one like who it. ruined it. I like the name. I like you the ruined name. it, Toby. No. Yep, I ruined it. All right. Man, my, my Red Bull's going to wear off. Let's do yeah. this. Hold on. Get, Get another Red Bull, Kevin. You can do it. <laughs> Mixed Ooh. with vodka. So, you know, it's like, oh. roll oh. that beautiful bean foot. <laughs> All right. Red wine. Step one, go. Partners in crime media. media.